It's a joy. It's a huge blessing to be with you this morning and to have been with you through this week. We arrived here on Wednesday, right? <laughs> and you have been such a blessing uh, to us. Um, you have already heard that my name is Julio Pacheco. I am one of the pastors at the Iglesia Bautista Comunión. That will be Fellowship Baptist Church in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. I am also the coordinator of MEPI, the nonprofit that is dedicated to uh, help churches plant churches. Uh, will you let me share a brief uh, greeting with my church this morning? Because they are also going to watch this, so <laughs> I need to say uh, hello to them. Buenos días, amados hermanos de la Iglesia Bautista Comunión. Que Dios les bendiga en esta mañana. Que el tiempo en la iglesia sea un tiempo de gran edificación para sus vidas. Thank you. Thank you for letting me do this. Uh, well, um, the first time that I was here was in August 2016. So I guess that I am getting to see you or to visit you every five years. <laughs> I hope we can make that wait shorter. So if I have to give you um, a brief update... I just want to say you that um, MEPI and Communion uh, are both working together uh, in the ministry. We are doing church planting, training, training centers, uh, dental ministries, and the boys and girls clubs. Talking about church planting, we are supporting uh, around 17 pastors who are planting churches in different areas of Honduras. And I have a report of the baptisms during the pandemic, and these are great news. Catalunya, 14 baptisms. Rio Dulce, 11. Koinonia, 9. The church at Tocoa, 8. The church at Trujillo, 5. The church at Olancho, 2. The church at Talanga, 2. The church at Parma, 2. A total of 53 baptisms during the pandemic. But, but, baptisms coming soon. Divagna, 14. Santa Rosa, 4. Agua Blanca, 4. Communion Church, three, Talanga, three, Mata de Platano, three. A total of 31 baptisms coming soon. That makes a total of 84 baptisms in 2020 and 2021. So definitely, yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ is building his church. He's adding those who were called and we are, we are glad to be part of it, and you are part of it too. Talking about the dental ministry, um, they, have been, they had to stop because of the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, from March to September of last year. But uh, since then, they have been helping hundreds of people all around Honduras. They have gone to places where it's so hard to even get uh, to help people in those communities. But I have a prayer request for you today. All of them, all of the members of the dental ministry have COVID-19 right now. And so if you will pray for them, especially for Doug Woods, who is in the worst uh, shape. Talking about the training centers, we also had to stop because of the pandemic. We try with uh, online classes, but uh, <laughs> I really don't enjoy so much uh, the, the online classes, as I didn't enjoy the online services, to be, to be honest with you. <laughs> but uh, thanks to the Lord, most of them have been able to reopen. We are teaching classes at Communion Church, at Koinonia, 
the second class of the pastoral training at Rio Dulce. We are teaching in Choluteca, thanks to a partnership that we have with Whitehorse. Uh, Guatemala, in, in Guatemala City, the capital, and Escuintla. And we have been able to bring conferences to several places in Honduras, Guatemala, and Nicaragua, thanks to the Lord. Talking about the Boys and Girls Clubs, that I know this program is in your heart, we have 11 now, and all of them have reopened, and they are, you know, they are uh, serving, helping, loving the children and the youth in each one of the places. Now, I need to say this, on behalf of my church, our missions, and the churches and missions of MEPI, Divagna, Mata de Plata, Nosinguisapa, Rio Dulce, Talanga, Casillas, Arzalosa, Barrio La Bolsa, which is one of the poorest places in Honduras, Coinonia, and even the churches in Trujillo, Olancho, and Santa Barbara, we thank you with all our heart for the love offerings that you have been collecting during the pandemic, and that you have been sending during the pandemic and after the hurricanes, the two hurricanes that, that hurt Honduras. So according to the reports that I have, you have raised and sent $10,570 in 2020 and 2021. Funds which were used to buy hundreds, thousands of bags of food, medication, uh, mattresses, uh, all kinds of supplies for people in great need. So thank you so much. Thank you, thank you so much. You have been a blessing to so many people in need. Also, I need to give an special acknowledgement to TLC, True Life Church. You have been the only church that has been able to send a mission team to a mission trip in, to us since the pandemic started. So bravo, True Life Church. <laughs> okay, so Pastor Jimmy Inman invited me to preach. <laughs> Thank you so much, Pastor Jimmy, for this undeserved privilege. So I need to say, I need to say that this is just going to be the second time I preach in the U.S. The first time that I preach was in LA, in LA, Los Angeles, and I preach in Spanish. So now that this is my second time, I am going to do the same. Así que, <laughs> Así que hermanos, abramos nuestras Biblias y vamos a leer. <laughs> No, jokes apart. This will be the first time I preach totally in English, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> so let us pray, let us pray. Dear Father, the only true and living God, blessed God, you are, O oh, oh Father. Father, this morning, please let us hear and understand your word clear, clearly because you want your word to be preached, to be believed, to be obeyed. So may your will be done. Amen. Amen. So in this, in this world, especially in these days, it is very difficult to find joy. Do you agree with me? It's easy to find a joy that comes and goes depending on the situations in which people are, you know. Uh, but a permanent, invincible joy 
is hard to found, is hard to find. I read an article at the New York Times, and by the way, I am not recommending you to read the New York Times. <laughs> I, am, I am just saying that I read an article there, and the name of this article is, Are We Living in a Post-Happiness World? Are We Living in a Post-Happiness World? The article says that happiness in the U.S. is declining and anxiety is on the rise. But to my surprise, this article was written on September uh, 28, 2019, to be precise, so before the pandemic. I wonder what they are saying now. So if you observe the world around, you will, you will realize that the world offers joy. They offer a lot of joy, but mainly they do by denying reality or by offering an escape from reality. There is this generalized thought in the world that you can have joy if you change your perspective, if you change your focus, if you change the way that you see things. They say that in order to have joy, you have to have a subjective, subjective well-being and positive thoughts. For example, I was reading another article in success.com, and I'm rec not recommending that, and the name of the article is 11 Simple Ways to Find Joy in Your Everyday Life. 11 Simple Ways to Find Joy. I don't want to lose time reading those 11 simple ways because they don't work. <laughs> they don't work at all. Uh, but I tell you that all of those 11 ways to find joy are based on the premise that if you change the way you think, you, you change the way you feel, you will find joy. If we change perspective, they say, shift happens. If shift happens, life changes. If life changes, we find joy. The conclusion of the article says, decades of positive psychology research has shown high levels of subjective well-being. Thus, the combination of life satisfaction and in-the-moment positive feelings can translate into better physical health, a longer life, and joy. So according to the word, subjective well-being plus positive feelings, positive thoughts, thoughts is what you need to find joy. So if that was all that we require to find joy, so the question is why are so many using and abusing drugs? Why are so many resorting to hoarding possessions, to hoarding money, to physical exercise, to fun and entertainment, to lust and fornication? Why are so many people resorting to these things to find joy? And why on the other side of the coin are others resorting to exactly the opposite, to the denial of their needs, their physical needs, through street body disciplines, through contemplation, to meditation, and the control of the mind? Really, church, subjectivity, positive feelings, and positive thoughts are failing to bring joy to humans. Denying the truth, trying to escape from reality, doesn't bring joy to anybody. However, almost 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years ago, the letter to the Philippians was written by a man who was in prison for doing what he loved the most. 
a man who has suffered all kinds of trials, afflictions, persecution, abandonment, a man who in a different letter wrote this, and I quote, I have been in far more labors, far more imprisonments, beaten times without number, often in danger of death. Five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stunned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have spent in the deep. I have been on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I have been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there is the daily pressure of me of concern for all the churches. End of the quote. But in spite of all that, this is a man who had found joy. And he wasn't denying his reality. And he wasn't trying, he wasn't trying to escape from it. He was really acknowledging what his life was about. But he had found joy, joy invincible. This is a man who could say a sorrowful jet always rejoicing. A man who could say, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. A man who could say, I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. A man who could say on himself and exhort others with this word, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your face, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way I share your joy, your joy with me. He could exhort others saying these words, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So for a man like this, with all his sorrows, how could he still be saying these kind of things? What was his secret for joy? How could he live a joyful life? Did he have 11 ways to joy? <laughs> Let's read together Philippians 1.18b. To 26. I will read it 18b to 26. I am going to read from the New American Standard Bible, 1995. I think you use King James Version here. Okay. <laughs> okay, the Bible says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard pressed from both directions, having to the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, 
I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. So in this portion of the scriptures that we just read, we find which life can be a joyful life. What life can enjoy joy invincible? What the only way to joy is? Because there are no 11 ways to joy. There is just one. We will see that this joyful life is not based on subjectivity, positive feelings, or positive thoughts, or positive sayings. It is based on necessary convictions, and these convictions are all of them based on truth. These convictions for a joyful life are in the saving plans of God, the efficacy of prayers, the provision of the Holy Spirit, and the call to a life mission. Those are the convictions that we are going to, to learn. So let me repeat that. In what we just read, we find which life can be a joyful life. And that's what we all want. We want a life to enjoy, right? To, to have joy. What life can enjoy? Joy invincible. What the only way to joy is. So, <clears throat> I need to confess, uh, my brethren, that I will not be able to cover all of, the, of this portion as I like, <laughs> because I like to go verse by verse, sentence by ten sentence, word by word, but for time's sake, that's not going to be possible this morning. So, how could Paul write such encouraging, motivating kind of words from prison, from prison? Because I know that in, 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 in the previous sermons that you have had in Philippians, you know that he was in prison when he wrote these letters. And you know all the sorrows that he had to endure. So how could he endure all kind of trouble, affliction, persecution, abandonment, continuous danger of death, and I still say, I rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice. How could he? Well, this is the secret. Pay attention. <laughs> the secret of Paul's joy, joyful life, is that he didn't live for himself. He didn't live for himself. He didn't live for making money. He didn't live to be comfortable. He didn't live to own possession. He didn't live to have fun. He didn't preach to be famous. He didn't write letters to be remembered. He didn't make tents from Monday to Friday in order to pay his fun and entertainment during the weekend. He didn't, <laughs> yes, <laughs> he didn't make self-care part of his routine. He didn't make plans to be happy. He didn't make plans to be happy. Instead of that, according to verses 20 and 21 that we just read, Paul lived for the exaltation of Christ. I am going to read it like this. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that I will not be put to shame in anything. But Christ will even now, as always, be exalted, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, 
and to die is gain. Christ will be exalted in my body is the translation in this New American Standard Bible. In your Bibles, the King James, it says Christ will be uh, magnified, right? Christ will be magnified. In other versions, it says Christ will be um, honored. It could very well be translated, Christ will be glorified. A few weeks ago, Pastor Jimmy Inman was preaching Philippians 1, 3 to 11. And he titled his sermon, We Instead of Me, right? We Instead of Me. And I think that if he was preaching this sermon, and I know how bad he would love to be preaching this, this portion, <laughs> I think he will have titled his sermon, He Instead of Me. He Instead of Me. Because Paul had a joyful life because he lived He instead of me. He could have joy in spite of all his great sorrows because, because he lived for the exaltation, the glorification, the magnification of Christ. He lived to honor Christ. He lived to worship God. So how does life look in Paul, in his case? How did it look in his case? Well, just the letter of Philippians, we see several characteristics of a life lived for Christ's exaltation. Okay, here they go. These are the characteristics of a joyful life. It is a life that thanks God for his, works, for his work in others. It is a life that joyfully prays for fruits of justice for the glory of, of God. It is a life that takes advantage of every situation for the advance of the gospel. For example, proclaiming, the, proclaiming Jesus Christ in prison or sending encouraging letters to the churches from prison. It's a life that rejoices in Christ being proclaimed. It's a life that considers a privilege not just to believe in Christ, but to suffer for Christ. It's a life that trusts in Christ justice and not in his own justice. It's a life that has the same attitudes as Jesus Christ. It's a life that worships in the spirit and glories in Christ alone, not in flesh. It's a life that pursues the goal of a complete knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a life that eagerly waits for the return of Jesus Christ. It's a life that is anxious for nothing but prays and give thanks in the name of Christ for everything. And lastly, it's a life that learns to be content in whatever situation it is. Because it's a life that can do everything through him, Christ, who strengthened it. That's a life in which Christ is exalted. That's a, a life that brings glory to Christ. That's a life with joy invincible. If we are not living joyful life, it's because we are living too much for ourselves and too little for him. Too little for him. The only joyful life is the one lived for Christ's exaltation. There are not 11 ways to find joy. There is just one way to live for 
Christ, to live he instead of me. Now, this joyful life um, is totally the opposite of what the world thinks. The world thinks in subjectivity, positive thoughts, positive sayings, but this joyful life is based in convictions. So these convictions are based on truth. The Apostle Paul had convictions. He was firm on them. He could not be moved away from then. So you see this, and you, you can see there in your Bible, at the beginning of verse 19. Look at the beginning of verse 19. He says, well, the end of verse 18 too. Yes, and I will rejoice for, for what? For I know, for I know. Also, you can read this uh, conviction language in verse 25. Verse 25, it says, convinced of this, I know, I know. To know is a verb that means to be aware of a fact, to be totally convinced, totally sure about a reality. So he was completely confident on these things. He had no doubts at all. And, we, and if we want to live for Christ's exaltation, we also need to be confident on these uh, things. So the first conviction of a joyful life is in the saving plans of the Lord. The first conviction of a joyful life is in the saving plans of the Lord. Let's read again verse 19. It says, For I know, there is the conviction, for I know, I am sure, I am aware of this fact, this is a reality, that this will turn out for my deliverance. This will turn out for my deliverance. There is a lot of discussion and controversy among Bible scholars, commentators, pastors, about what kind of deliverance Paul was talking about here. The Greek word for deliverance in this text is the word that we translate to talk about salvation, liberation, or deliverance. deliverance. Its meaning is to rescue or recovery from loss or danger, whether physical or spiritual. So, Paul knew, Paul was convinced, Paul was aware of the fact that the Lord had saving plans for him. There was no doubt in his mind that the Lord was executing a saving plan in his life, even though he was in prison. His deliverance, many think, is about being released from prison. They say that Paul was sure that God was going to save him or deliver him from prison. And this, in part, is true because he was sure that he was going to be released from prison. You can see this in, in verses 25 and 26. He says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming, my coming to you again. So he was sure that he was going to be released in prison, but I don't think that's the deliverance that he's talking about here. Others think that Paul is talking about a spiritual or final 
salvation. They say that Paul was sure that he was not going to be ashamed in front of the Lord in the final day. That he was sure that he was going to be glorified. Paul was convinced on this, and this is true for sure. I think that Paul was sure of his glorification as no one else has been. He was sure on this. But I think that Paul was not talking about being released from prison or the final judgment in front of the Lord. He was not talking about this, or he was talking about this, but also about everything else. I think that Paul was talking about the whole picture, the whole situation. He was talking about present and future. My conclusion is that Paul was talking about deliverance from the danger of failing. He was talking about the deliverance of the danger of being a failure, a failure. And I came to this conclusion because a few words ahead, he says in, the, in verse 20, you can see verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope, and that's again language of conviction, my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, in anything. Earnest expectation literally means stretching the head forward and looking with concentration. Like I, I cannot stretch my head anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> looking directly. And hope is more than the desire of something to happen is the expectation, the security that it will happen. That is hope. So Paul knew that as he was living for Christ's exaltation, as he was living he instead of me, his current situation was for good, not for bad. His current situation was for victory, not for failure. He knew that his current situation was going to turn in whatever the Lord had planned or decree to be, life or death. But at the end, he was not going to live his life in vain. His life was not going to be a failure. His life was not going to be a life to be ashamed of. His life was not a failure. It is interesting to notice, uh, brothers, that Paul understands scriptures because these words are a quotation from Job's words, another man of sorrow, another man of sorrow. If you see in Job chapter 13, verse 16, Job says, this will also be my salvation. This will also be my salvation. He's saying the same, well, Paul is saying the same that Job said thousands of years before. This will also be my salvation. And just before Job says that, you can see in verse 15, Job 13, 15, though he slay me, though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will also be my salvation. So Paul was quoting Job when he wrote, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Job and Paul share a common conviction, a common conviction. 
God's saving plans may include their sorrow. God's saving plan may include God slaying them. But at the end, those are saving plans and are for good, for good. Going back to Philippians, in chapter 1, verse 29, Paul says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Have you noticed that? The Lord has granted you this incomparable blessing to believe in Christ. But with that comes this other beautiful blessing, to suffer for him. And he says, experiencing the same conflict with you so in me, and now here to be in me. Brothers, if we don't understand this like Job and Paul did, if we don't understand God's saving plan includes sorrow, includes trials, difficulties, affliction. If we don't understand that, we won't have joy. We won't have joy. Because we're going to think, oh, I'm failing. My life is a failure. My life is a misery. I'm doing everything wrong or the Lord lied to me. We need to understand that his saving plans include our sorrow. Uh, we need to understand that God didn't send Jesus to die for us so that we can find forgiveness of sin and eternal life and after that get everything that we have ever wanted, ever dreamed, or ever coveted. <laughs> Those are not his saving plans. <laughs> Those are not. He has granted us the blessing of suffering for him. We, can, we, we need to have this conviction. We know that God causes, causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called, that means saved, according to his purpose. So if you believe in Christ, if you believe in Christ, your sins have been forgiven. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are free to live for his exaltation. You have been free for living just for yourself. You are free to worship him. You are free, free to bring glory to his name. You are not failure anymore. Anymore, because you were a failure before trusting on him. Because you believe in Christ, you have now died to yourself. You don't live anymore. Christ lives in you. Your life in Christ will never be a failure. You don't need to be ashamed. Now you can have joy, joy invincible, joy everlasting. Amen? Okay, so the second conviction of a joyful life is in the efficacy of prayers. The first one was in the saving plans of God. The second conviction is in the efficacy of prayers. Let's read again verse 19. It says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. Through your prayers. So Paul was convinced that God had saving plans for him, and in his sovereignty, God was going to cause them to be. But he knew that prayers 
were required still. Still required. He knew prayers had been determined by God as an effective way in which his purposes come to pass. The word for prayers in this text is the word uh, that means supplication. Supplication is a word that recognizes uh, need, privation, danger. It's also the word that we use for intercession. So for Paul, prayers and prayers for others were not a routine. They were not a routine. Prayers was not something to be skipped for a day or for two days or for a week. Someone identifies with that? I hope not. <laughs> in fact, in Thessalonians, in First Thessalonians 5, he says, Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. One of the precious, the most precious and sweetest things that you see in Paul's letters is how he begins his letters uh, praying for others. And he ends his letters asking for their prayers for him. <laughs> he prays for others and he wants others to, praise, to pray for him because he was convinced in the efficacy, he was confident on the efficacy of prayers. And you may say, I am also confident. I know that prayers work, but your life needs to show it. Your life needs to show it. You have to cultivate a life of prayers, a life of prayers for others. So the third conviction of a joyful life is in the provision of the Holy Spirit. Again, let's read again uh, verse 19, <laughs> Philippians 1.19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers, we have seen that, and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul was convinced that in his prison, trials, sufferings, uh, abandonment, he was not alone. He had a helper. He had a provider. He had someone besides him and in him. He had a source of power. That was the Holy Spirit. The word for provision, or, or, or as in your Bible says, the supply, the supply of the Holy Spirit, is uh, an augmented word. That means that it is a word that magnifies its meaning. Magnifies its meaning. So when Paul is talking about the provision, he's talking about an abundant, a huge, enormous Plentiful, rich provision. That's what the Holy Spirit brings to our life. Uh, I would like to compare <laughs> this. I know that there is no comparison, but I would like to compare this abundant, plentiful provision to the amount of food that we have enjoyed to the lunches and dinners <laughs> that you have invited us. <laughs> Or a better comparison will be to the love and kindness and gentleness that you have shown to us during these days. Thank you so much. <laughs> you have been amazing providers, but we have the most amazing provider and supplier and helper. That is the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ himself prayed to the Father to give us this helper, this provider. In John 14, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper 
that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Jesus even said that it was better for him to leave so the spirit may come. He said that it was for our advantage that the spirit come. In John 16, 7, he says, but I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus knew that we cannot live without the Spirit. We need his power. We need his provision. We need the fruit of the Spirit. We need the gift. You know, what's the second gift? Joy. We need the joy that he brings. The Holy Spirit is a provided provider of joy, abundant joy, joy invincible. And finally, the fourth conviction is in the call to a mission in life, a life mission. So I'm going to read verses 22 to 26. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I do not know which to choose, but I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I, that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again." So I need to be very brief because of time's sake, right? <laughs> I need to be very... Okay, so I'm going to say, Paul was convinced that death is not lost for the individual Christian. You see that? Death is not lost at all for the individual Christian. Instead of that, it's gain because that believer that dies gets to be with the Lord in person. Now that I have said the phrase, in person. <laughs> Can you imagine how hateful it will be to have to meet with Jesus in Zoom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not going to be in Zoom. It's going to be face-to-face, -face <laughs> in person, in his presence. So for a believer of Jesus Christ, death is gain. So what? is life. If death is gain, what is life? So life is Christ, he says there. To me, for to me, to live is Christ. So what does that mean? Life is the only opportunity that we will, that we will ever have to fulfill Christ's mission. It's the only opportunity that we will have. Life is the opportunity to be fruitful for the sake of others. Life is a mission. It's a mission for others' sake. A joyful life understands the beautiful and undeserved opportunity to bring Christ to other people's life so they may have joy also. So they may have joy also. So uh, I think, brothers, that it has been very well established which one is the only way to find joy? 
That is to live for Christ's exaltation. That is to live with the convictions in the saving plans of God, in the efficacy of prayers, in the provision of the Holy Spirit, and in the call to a mission of life. Maybe you are not a Christian, and you recognize that your life is a, is a failure, because if you don't believe in Christ, your life is a failure. Your life is death. You don't, you don't live. Being rich or poor has not, brought, has not brought and is not going to bring joy to your life. Maybe you recognize that you have tried with subjectivity and positive thoughts and positive sayings, and it hasn't worked. Believe in Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. And for those who are already Christians, who believe in Jesus Christ, maybe your life has been so much of you and too little of him. Strive to grow in your knowledge of Jesus Christ and in your love for him. Like John the Baptist said, you have to say, this joy of mine, joy, this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. It's the same thought. He instead of me. Thank you, brothers. God bless.